Well, good morning, everyone, right here in this room, and to those uh, that are watching online today, great to have you with you, uh, have you with us. Uh, it was a delight uh, early this morning. Uh, I got to be in a uh, one of our little micro church gatherings out at Eagle Hawk, and then uh, being able to come back across here. And uh, the, the thought that uh, there are gatherings happening uh, right across our day, and then even some being positioned for next week as well too, is really exciting. But uh, good to have you here in this room, and I look forward to uh, seeing others as well uh, on different occasions. Hey, I wonder if you've ever found yourself caught between a rock and a hard place. Probably an experience that's common to us all, and uh, if you're watching online, uh, something you've experienced as well too in your life. And it could be any number of situations where you find yourself having to make a decision between one of two things. Uh, the decision might be uh, as simple as Uh, You've got two really good friends who are kind of uh, in conflict with one another and you find yourself in the middle. You are torn between what you're going to do. Or uh, maybe you've landed your dream job and uh, this is the job that you've been dreaming about. You've studied, you've gone and, and suddenly now you've got it, but you've got to leave behind your family and friends and go to this other location. You're torn. Or if you're like me, I like, I like shoes. I like buying new shoes. And uh, so you might be somewhere in a store and you realize you've got a couple of pairs of shoes to choose between. You've only got enough to buy the one pair and you are conflicted. You are between a rock and a hard place. You know what? We've all experienced that before and we're all going to continue to experience that. And maybe some of you are experiencing right now in the times in which we live What's common to us has been common to every generation since the beginning of time and even in the lives of three young men by the name of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You know, uh, into this story that we just heard, Alison, thank you for reading that for us today. Great story, and we don't have time to unpack every element of the story. And in our life groups this week, uh, you'll get a chance to kind of dig a bit deeper into that. But uh, we have a story where these three men that we'd heard about in Daniel chapter 1, but now come to prominence in Daniel chapter 3. And what's interesting is that we don't hear anything about Daniel now per se, but it's about their lives as they find themselves in a bit of a sticky situation. You know, the story is really interesting in Daniel. We, we see from the very beginning uh, this uh, remnant of people that have been carried into exile. There's a sense of, of God continuing to preserve them. Uh, and in Daniel chapter 2, uh, Daniel comes to the forefront where he actually steps up and he interprets this dream uh, that this king had had. And wasn't, the king, wasn't, king Nebuchadnezzar wasn't sure what to do with it. Daniel steps in. Uh, and, and we find towards the end of Daniel chapter 2, uh, uh, there is a real sense of Nebuchadnezzar, even though he's not acknowledging Israel's God, Yahweh is the one true God, there is this growing sense that... Uh, he is a God like no other gods. These experienced before. He says in Daniel chapter 2 verse 47, these words. He says, truly, he's speaking to Daniel, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. I mean, who would have imagined that the, the most pagan of leaders would then bear homage to Yahweh? But that's what's going on. And he's so moved by what Daniel does that he kind of elevates him and then his three mates to these amazing positions of power and influence within the Babylonian Empire. And we pick up the story on the back end of that with, uh, with Nebuchadnezzar deciding to build this humongous statue, some 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, most likely a statue that was a representation of himself. 
Now, how do we know that? Well, if you're back in Daniel chapter 2, he's had this dream and Daniel interprets the dream and says, O King uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, this, uh, this, this image that you've had, this uh, uh, picture of a man with a head of gold is yourself and it is a reflection of your empire. And so you get this sense that in this moment, King Nebuchadnezzar is so captured by all of this, he, he takes great delight, his brain runs with this and he thinks, you know what, I'm going to build a statue. And so he does, it's a gold statue, and it's planted right there in what they call the plain of Jura in the land of Babylon. And after it's erected, we're told that he calls people. He calls governors, he calls officials, he calls people from the four corners of the empire and says, hey, I want you to come. Let's come, it's going to be a party to rival any other party. It's going to be an amazing celebration together. And of course, when uh, the people begin turning up, they're then told what they're going to do. And it's made very clear to them that when the band plays, when the orchestra strikes up, there is a sense that you are going to have to bow down. Daniel chapter 3, verse 5, it says they were to bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And failure to comply with this uh, would be seen as an act of disloyalty. And uh, they were told uh, very clearly that it would result in a horrific punishment. Now, not a hard edict to live or to follow if you're living in that country, if you've come from a pagan country and when you're used to worshipping kind of all manner and form of gods, this is just another thing for you to attach to uh, your form of worship. And so uh, for most people, wouldn't have blinked an eyelid about such a request. They just thought, okay, well, when the music plays, we will bow down. But what was it going to mean for this small remnant of Jewish exiles living in Babylon? I think it's fair to say that they were in this moment suddenly thinking we've been caught between a rock and a hard place. I mean, we, we, we've heard the story. Maybe if you've grown up, uh, you know, you've come through kids' church uh, or as an adult, you've, you've heard Daniel chapter 3, uh, these three men standing strong. The reality is I think we can, uh, we, we, we can kind of create this nice little picture that, oh, this is, they had their convictions and this wouldn't have been hard for them and they just stood up. Well, I don't think that's the case because if they're anything like you or myself and they find themselves standing in a moment like this, not an easy decision. I mean, they had been raised to these positions of power and influence. Uh, they were now, they had authority over people in their land. There, there was this sense that God had preserved them for such a time as this and this was a good thing, but to go against the king and his edict would certainly mean being stripped of all their influence and probably their lives were going to be lost. Caught between a rock and a hard place, what were they going to do? You know, the reality of this is, you know, as I thought about it this week, that image uh, of what was being asked of them, scenes like this, I think have just been repeated right down throughout the ages. What was asked of them there has still been asked. Different regimes have told followers of Jesus over the last 21 centuries that they must conform to their godly, uh, ungodly demands or, or die. And even today in countries all around the globe, there is this sense of the persecuted church where men and women, they've either lost their lives or they're languishing in prisons because they would not bend their knee and compromise their faith in Christ. And while that may not be our experience just here yet in Australia, there is certainly a growing pressure in this country asking us to conform as followers of Christ. You see, it's this age-old question that says, do you just give in and go along just like everybody else? Or do you stand up for your faith and potentially risk losing everything? 
Well, that was the question that was facing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, on that plain of Jura as the orchestra began to play. Would they just go along? With all the other guests as the music played and as they bowed their heads, the story tells us that there were three that were left standing, three men who were willing to go against the flow, who were willing to say, no other God but our gods. There's only one God we're going to worship. I mean, these men would have stood out. I mean, imagine just for a moment. I don't know how many people were there on that particular occasion on that day, but people are being drawn from the four corners of uh, Babylon into this moment. Maybe tens of thousands of people right there, and as the orchestra began to play, they all dropped to their knees, heads on the ground, except for three people who were just standing out in the crowds. You know, word got back to King Nebuchadnezzar very quickly. He was outraged. And he demands an audience, you know, uh, with uh, these three individuals, uh, people that he'd entrusted with great responsibility. They were going against the party line and they're in his presence. And he says these words to them in uh, verse 14. He says, is it true? Is it true that you refuse to save my God, to serve my gods or to worship this gold statue that I have set up? You get this sense of contempt in him. He's thinking, you know what? I've put you in these positions. I've given you everything and you have the audacity to now stand up and to go against what I am saying. Or maybe there was even a sense in him saying, I'm struggling to believe that this is true. Did did you mishear? Did you you not get the royal decree? Did did it not fall on your ears? Um, And if that's the case, uh, then it's not too late for you to still to change your ways and to respond like everyone else. And I can only begin to imagine that in that moment, the temptation to just go along, to get along, it must have been huge. But this is what they said. And for me, as I read this, this is... The, the highlight and early of uh, this entire story, this is what they said. And we're not sure whether they said it in unison or whether one said it for the others. But together they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, oh, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods. Or worship the gold statue that you have set up. I don't know about you, but that is a wow statement for me. When I I hear that, it just kind of, that is a courageous, faith-filled statement if there was ever going to be one. You know, in this sense, uh, they, they are completely trusting in the sovereign will of God. I mean, they believe that their God is able to save them. He can do all of that for them. And yet at the same time, they don't want to be presumptuous at all and say, well, and of course, this is what he's going to do for us. They say, well, you know, he can do that. But, O King, your majesty, if he chooses not to do that, and we're still okay with that, if that's the choice that he has for our lives, we will still not bow down, and nor will we worship your statue. That was the line in the sand. Well, we know the king's incensed. He throws them into this fire. And uh, his expectation was that they would just, ex- they would just incinerate, just, just poof, gone. 
And it's not the case. And as the king happens to peer into this blazing furnace from wherever he was, I'm not sure how he saw, but he suddenly realized there weren't just three people, but there was a fourth person, a fourth man walking around in this fire with these three men. Who was this last guest? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly who it was. We, we, we are left to kind of make the deduction from the, the broader teaching of Scripture. But there's no doubt that Nebuchadnezzar believed it was uh, another god or it was divine at least, an angel in the presence right there. And, and so uh, as we look at the, the full teaching of Scripture, we have this sense that this was a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ, the Son of Man right there in the midst uh, with them in uh, with them in the fire. Well, Nebuchadnezzar calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire and uh, just utterly amazed, blown away by, by what happens here. And Nebuchadnezzar makes this statement, verse 28 and 29. It says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says, there is no other God who can rescue like this. An amazing story. The question for us is, what do we do with that story? Uh, a narrative account from many centuries ago. You know, what does this story mean for us? Well, as we kind of land this today, I, I want to spend maybe most of our time now just talking about two observations that I think are, are really important for, for those of us that uh, are here and wherever we might be watching today. Uh, two observations that I think have powerful applications for our lives. Here's the, here's the first observation. You see, as I, as I read this story, as I think about this story, I think it has something powerful to say about the impact of a faithful witness. You see, there is no doubt as uh, these three men, as they stood in the gap and as they stood up and they stood on their no, the dogged determination of these three young men shows us today that our willingness to say no, however distasteful that might be to those that are around us, can be the stand that makes such a powerful difference or God can use that stand to make a powerful difference in the lives of other people. And we see that in this story. I mean, we, we, we aren't so much told what happened or what went through the mind of the, the royal officials and the governors as they stood around gawking as these three men were brought out of the furnace. But you would have to believe that when they realized that this fire that was hotter than any other fire they'd ever seen and the guards who had thrown them in there had lost their lives, but these men had come out and there was not even a hair on their head that had been singed, that leaves a powerful, lasting impression upon your life. But then we are told about King Nebuchadnezzar. We're told what he thought. You see, in verse 28, he came to see that God had some humble servants. And that God had sent his angel and that God had more, that God was more powerful than he and that God is greater than any other God and fit to be worshipped. Nebuchadnezzar still had not made that decision to uh, place his trust and his allegiance in the God of Israel in Yahweh, but with no pun intended, as if uh, this image had been indelibly burned into his mind, there was a no escaping that fact for King Nebuchadnezzar. It was nearly a, a part of the, the gracious work of God in the life of this pagan king. Just little by little by little drawing him to himself. And we'll see next week in Daniel 4 what it takes to really get a hold of his life. So what does that mean for you and me? 
Well, the reality is that maybe there's some of us sitting here in this room today or you're watching online as well too, and you're facing a situation in your life that needs the response of a strong no. And that strong no could be any number of things today. You know what? It might be a decision that says, you know what? I am not going to get drunk with my mates. Or I'm not going to lose my virginity before I get married. Or it's a decision that says, I will not lie. I will not cheat on my spouse. I will not watch porn or I won't entertain a myriad of other questionable choices in my life because as I read the word of God and as I stand on what the word of God says, there's the line in the sand and so it has to be a no. So maybe my question, it's a rhetorical question, is well, what is your no? What's your no as someone who is following Jesus, who is being changed by Jesus and someone who is committed to the mission of Jesus? What is your no? You see, there is no doubt that people will always try to pressure us uh, or even intimidate us into conforming to their sinful behavior. And what was true then is still going to be true today. People saying, oh, come on, everyone's doing it, so why don't you just do it? Why be so different? Come on, it's not that a bigger deal, it's just this one time. And it's into those situations... That Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they, they show us what it takes to stand strong and to say, you know, I will not compromise or give in on what I believe to be true. And it's in those moments that our faithfulness, our, our, our witness might just be the one thing that God chooses to use to change the life of another individual. I want to encourage us, church, wherever we might be, but we have a world that is watching us. They're watching our example. And we cannot underestimate the influence of our one life and the impact that that might have as a follower of Jesus when we say no on the lives of other people. But here's a second observation. You know, as I think about this story, see, it reminds me that we are never alone when we find ourselves standing in a fire. And that was the experience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, now, were these three men, were they actually aware of the presence of this fourth person amongst them? Did they know it was the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God? Did, did they know that that was happening in that moment? Well, we don't really quite know. But that doesn't change the, the fact of the story that into the midst of this, in the midst of this fire, in this situation, the, the, the Son of God, uh, the, the, the second member of the Trinity was right there in their midst. He met them or he found them in the fire. He was right there with them. So what does that mean for us? Well, I want to encourage us today into whatever situation we might find, whether we find ourselves standing alone in the fire, that you're not really alone. And while Jesus has never promised to, uh, to shield us from every distress or every danger that might come awake, that we might encounter in our lives, the wonderful thing about this story is it reminds us that in our loneliness or in our weariness or in the fiery situations of our lives, we can be sure uh, there is a confidence, there is a surety that we have in life that uh, Jesus promises to walk alongside of us, whether we know it or not. And maybe, just maybe for some of us today, that's the reminder that we need to know. You know whether we know it or whether we don't, he is still there with us nonetheless you know i was really reminded of that this past week as i was thinking about the story 
And uh, I happened uh, to be reminded of, uh, uh, of, uh, of uh, some teaching or the, the thought coming out of Isaiah chapter 43, where the prophet speaks on behalf of God to the nation of Israel with these words that now have come true. Words that were spoken beforehand, but now are, are a reality for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And he says these words, Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. And when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames, they will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I don't know about you, but it seems like the times in which we are living there, words for our day as well. You know, we may not be aware of the presence of God in our lives, but uh, the Son of God has a way of keeping us through waters, rivers, and fire. You know, he's there alongside of us. When we find ourselves in that moment, uh, maybe in a doctor's office with some bad news, or when we're going into an operating room, whether it's as we're standing beside a gravesite, or we're kind of living in an empty home, or we're even living with the reality of a global pandemic. See, the teaching of this uh, story here in the book of Daniel reminds us that we have a, have a God who is right beside us. We are not alone for the fourth person, the Son of God, always finds his people even in the midst of a fire. So I wonder today what the Spirit of God might be saying to all of us into our own unique situations of life. And I want us to imagine for just a moment... What could happen this week if you and I were willing to listen to the promptings of the spirits and what he was saying to us? You see, our willingness to say no might be the the catalyst that suddenly changes the course of somebody else's life. And our willingness to stand strong as followers of Jesus in the fire might be the thing that gives somebody else the courage to stand too when they find themselves caught between a rock and a hard place. See, just imagine for a moment the influence that we might have collectively as we faithfully follow Jesus. Now, we're going to finish here this morning. And as our team comes back onto the stage, I'm going to pray for us. But they're going to lead us in in an item that we're going to listen to today. And uh, I really want to encourage us in that moment. You can sing along with the words. You won't probably know this song. But this is an opportunity for us in this moment. The Spirit of God is at work in this room and wherever we might be watching today. And the Word of God has application into our life. Right here, right now. And it's really important in how we're going to respond to that. Would you pray with me? Father, today, we are so grateful for this story. The story of three men who were willing, when caught between a rock and a hard place, they counted the cost. And for them, it wasn't about deliverance, it was about obedience. That's what really mattered the most, whatever the cost might be for their lives. So Lord, I want to pray into our lives today as we think about this, as we endeavor to apply that into our lives. Heavenly Father, your spirit's got something for us. There's situations that maybe we're encountering in life or something's going to come against us. Maybe we need to put the teaching of Isaiah chapter 42 in a a prominent place in our house and we need to remind ourselves constantly of those words. Father, I don't know what it is that you are doing, but 
We don't want to leave this room changed, this moment. We don't want to leave this moment changed. So we want to, we, Father, we want you to change us. We don't just want to remain the same. So we invite you right now to have your way in our lives. Father, we know it's about your glory. And it's about living our lives in ways that honor you. And you're going to call us to do different things. But Father, would you help us to stand firm in the fire? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.